From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Squiz, and on today's special anniversary episode, we celebrate the first birthday of this podcast. I'll share my thoughts on this milestone that I can't wrap my head around, and some of my favorite bits of the episodes from the past year. Wow. It's been a full year since we have started hanging out every week since me and all of you lovelies who listen to this show have had an opportunity to listen and learn to so many different women who are making their mark in all different fields. And I gotta say, this is kind of nuts. I only realized that the first birthday of the podcast was coming up I want to say a couple of weeks ago, I number all of the episodes in the files that I use to like make them and edit them and all of that. So when I realized that I was getting to, you know, oh wow, this is episode 40, this is episode 41, it occurred to me that there are 52 weeks in a year and we're coming up on the one year, which is kind of nuts. Now this is not the 52nd episode. I'm going by the calendar year, not by every 52 episodes because that's how birthdays work hello. And the thing about this podcast is that I really started it because I wanted to have a place to share the people that I think are pretty awesome with some of the people who got to know me. I don't think that anyone exists in a vacuum. I don't think that anyone really, you know, anyone who claims to be uninfluenced by those around them is selling you something they it's it's impossible we are all affected by what's around us and I'm certainly affected by the people around me particularly the awesome women around me and I did feel like that was a part of me that I wanted to share with you I wanted to share the people who inspire me the people who I am in awe of the people who just do the things that I don't think that I could do but find that actually I have a lot in common with them. I also had this theory um, and the theory was that all of us are kind of looking around maybe at each other, maybe at other people and we might be feeling a little bit less than. We might be feeling a little bit compared to the other people around us and while we're all looking around and feeling maybe a little bit less than Probably the people that we're looking at that are making us feel less than have someone that they're looking at and is making them feel a little less than. And if we were all just a little bit more open about our struggles or the way that we got to where we are, maybe we could all just feel a little better about ourselves. Maybe we could all just feel like we're doing the best we can and we're doing, you know, the best we can with the cards that we've been dealt. We're all just doing our best to do our best. And I really feel like that's what this podcast has done for, it's certainly done that for me, and I hope that it's done the same thing uh, for you. And and in listening and in hearing our 
guests come on and have them share their stories, they're also sharing that they're not that much different. You know, people are not that much different. We are much more alike than we are different. And that's that's something really, really special uh, to me. The other thing that's also really, really great about this kind of format, I guess you could say, I kind of, the, the first question that I ask all of the guests that come on the show, and that is, tell me what you were like as a little kid. Usually you don't hear me ask that question. I usually cut it out and I just start when, um, when the guest starts talking. What I've found so fascinating is that so many of my guests were not superstars. You know, they were not kids that everyone around them recognized were going to go on to do fantastic things. Um, a lot of my guests describe themselves as shy or as nerdy or as not in the cool crowd or something like that. I certainly fit all of those descriptions. And it was, it's, you know, I, I wish that little Rifki had the opportunity to listen to some of these interviews because I think that it would have given me a little bit, I don't want to say hope because that sounds, I don't know, a little too depressing. I was not a depressed kid, but a little, uh, just a little glimpse in, into how it really does truly get better. And that's, that's also just something that I found so just, just so fascinating with having these conversations, you know, that are all somewhat similar, but not really that different. Um, you know, not, not, there's, there's nothing that groundbreaking about, what what people start out as there's groundbreaking in the decisions that they make in the cards that life throws them but there isn't you know it's not like these are virtuosos these are regular women just like you and me and that's that's what I have found to be the most inspiring part of all of this um the thing also is that I have learned so much about myself um about life just from listening back to these conversations. When I say that the at the end of every episode, when I say that this podcast was hosted and produced by me, um, I edit the episodes myself. Um, and that started out, well, first it was out of necessity. I couldn't hire, I couldn't afford to hire anyone to edit the episodes for me. And then it was because it was something that I really enjoyed doing. And I have... <laughs> It's a very interesting exercise to listen back literally to hours and hours and hours of yourself interacting with people and learn what you are like in conversation as an objective observer. When I'm listening to edit, I'm listening for very specific things. I'm listening for, you know, if there's like, um, if the audio cuts out and I need to repair it, if the volume gets a little bit weird, I'm listening with a very um, objective eye. I'm not so much paying attention to the content of what I'm saying, but you notice so much about your mannerisms and things. And I actually was speaking with my husband a couple weeks ago, or maybe two, three weeks ago, and I asked him, do you think that I interrupt less in conversation now? And he said, yeah, I, I think, I think you do. And that was, that's just an annoying habit that I had that I interrupt people. I used to interrupt people a lot more than I do now. And I said to him, I was like, yeah, I think that I do also. And I think that part of the reason why I interrupt less is because 
I've been listening to these podcast episodes of myself. And after a year of listening to that, first of all, I cringe every time I hear myself interrupt someone in the show. And also just from a technical level, if I interrupt the guest, I don't know why it does this, but I guess maybe it's a feature on Zoom or it could just be a weird quirk of um, how it works. But if I interrupt a guest, it cuts out their audio and it prioritizes mine. So if a guest is in the middle of saying something and I interrupt them, it stops recording them. And that is really frustrating to me as a listener when I was editing because I always felt like she was about to say something so fantastic and you you cut it out. So I mentioned to my husband, I was like, yeah, I think that I interrupt less because of the podcast. And he was like, yeah, well, you definitely interrupt less. And I guess that's a good theory. He just thought it was funny that I interrupt less because of the podcast and not because it was something that he asked me not to do. But that's a side, that's a side point. Podcast certainly made it easier. And the other thing that, one of the other things that I also learned while I was editing is I always know when it's going to be a fantastic episode based on how much I'm talking and how much the guest is talking. In a fantastic episode, I record the audio on two separate tracks so I can see in two separate files my, um, you know, me talking and the guest talking. And if my track is mostly empty and the guest track is mostly full, I already know that it's going to be a fantastic episode. And it's, there's certainly a lesson in there for me because like I said, I tend to interrupt people and I'm certainly not shy. So having this podcast as an exercise and when to shut up has certainly been very useful for me as a person and my own growth. Um, but I think that there's also something to be said for when you give people the opportunity to really voice their opinion, to really share their stories, to really make what they want to be known, known, to really formulate that thought fully, you're going to find fantastic things. You're going to find out really wonderful insights into what it is that they feel, believe, think, act on, all of that. Um, and there's, there's real power in listening more than you talk. The other thing is, I think that with... All of these episodes when I was, you know, I'm going to be sharing some of my favorite clips um, in a little while. And so I listened back to a, almost every single episode in the in the catalog. And what I also noticed is that the really good stuff starts about 20 minutes in, starts about halfway through, you know, a 45 minute episode. And there's something to be said also give people the opportunity to formulate their thoughts and ideas. It's also there's also something to be said for you know, give yourself the time and the space for 20 minutes of thinking, for 20 minutes of a, a one-on-one conversation. You know, when I'm recording, my phone is on silent. My guest's phone is on silent. We're only just talking with each other. Obviously, we're recording, but we're not focused on anything else other than the conversation that we're having and the good stuff starts about 20 minutes in and I think that that's also a really great thing to keep in mind for any relationship or something that you want to get to the next level that you want to make it deeper give yourself those 20 minutes of quiet give yourself those 20 minutes of one-on-one conversation without those distractions where you're doing nothing but focusing on 
what it is that you're talking about. And also, the good stuff is worth the wait. It's worth, you know, it's it's worth the wait. Sometimes you might think that something is, you know, a dud after five minutes, but 20 minutes in is when you're really going to hit that gold. The podcast has also, for me, been an exercise in consistency. I was really, really important to me as someone who listens to a lot of podcasts to not do seasons, to not, um, you know, publish 10 episodes, go away for six weeks and then publish another five. It just wasn't what I wanted to do. I really wanted to put out a weekly episode and that required implementing a lot of systems and working on a lot of scheduling and just consistency. It required consistency. It required getting myself into a groove that could really flow, that could really, you know, put out what I wanted it to put out. And it was, it it was just an an interesting exercise (laughs) to do. Um, And to have gotten to this point a year later, um, this is episode 47. So, you know, if you don't count holidays and whatever there was one week when I didn't publish um I believe it was when my grandfather was sick and I missed a week and there was another week I, w- I want to give a, a special shout out actually to Sippy Gross um her episode came out shortly after my grandfather passed away and I actually was trying to schedule with her for a little bit and I reached out to her on Thursday and I said I don't have an episode recorded for Monday can we record anytime between now and Monday and and we did we recorded that the Friday before she ended up um getting on a plane shortly after it was it was a really it was a really special thing that she did for me there and that those are the kinds of times when you find out uh you know who are the people that you can really rely on and thank you so much Sippy for that the you know the consistency of it was important to me and I'm really really proud that a year later this is the 47th episode it's it it means a lot and there are also things that you know looking back on this past year of episodes and especially because I've listened to almost all of them preparing for this episode is there are things that I that I still want to improve there are things that I still want to just be better about um and and things that I think that we can do even better and that's the other thing also is that I listened back to almost every single episode it was hard listening to those first episodes I don't think that I was a great interviewer then I also don't I I mean I know that I was not a great audio editor that was certainly not something that was fantastic and that's something that I certainly got better at I am I'm pretty proud of that to be perfectly honest of how I've gotten to hang for audio editing and those you know things get better over time they just do if you put in the work then things really do just get better over time and with some things that I want to get even better at is is something that I want to address specifically now um and that is it was important to me when I started this podcast to make and to make a show that was going to feel inclusive of all women not just women who maybe follow me or would be interested in my fashion but and not just women who grew up like I did and look like I did and my original goal when I set out to start the podcast was actually to have no more than 50% of my guests be from the Orthodox Jewish community I really wanted to feature a wide range of women I really wanted to feature uh, just people from all walks of life 
and that's something that I have not done. Um, um, the vast majority of my guests have been from the Orthodox Jewish community. And uh, the reason why that happened is, to be perfectly honest, I was leveraging my network for guests. I was leveraging my network for um, for people that I thought would be interested and people that I thought would be interested in in sitting down and recording with me. And because I started out with friends of friends of friends um, and a good chunk of my friends are from the Orthodox Jewish community. So that's just how it ended up going forward. It's something that I want to be much more aware of. It's something that I want to um, that I'm taking steps to be much more proactive about. And the first thing that I'm going to do is that I'm going to ask you for your help. If you have someone who is not from the Orthodox Jewish community that you would like to hear from on this show that you think would be, um, would have something to share, would have something to say, please send me an email. It's Rivky, R-I-V-K-Y, at impactfashionnyc.com. Rivky, R-I-V-K-Y, at impactfashionnyc.com. Send me an email. Let me know about that person. If this is you, pitch yourself to me. I'm pretty selective about who I let on because I value your time listening and I always want to make sure that there's something of value there. So I'm not going to feature someone just because they're not a part of the Orthodox Jewish community. But if there is someone that you want to hear from, let me know who they are. And by the way, if you have any feedback at all about the podcast, I'd love to hear it. Send it to that same email and I'd love to hear you know, positive or negative. That's how we get better. We get better by being open to other people's opinions and other people's thoughts. And I really, really, really do appreciate that from you. So going forward, I am making the commitment to try to feature more diverse guests. I can't promise that it'll happen. Um, I, it is still very important to me to have an episode every week. And that probably means that it'll be a very slow climb towards less um towards a more even balance in terms of you know how orthodox jewish my guests are uh but i do it is something that i am being very conscious about and i hope that you'll bear with me for that and i really appreciate that so thank you so much for listening for these past 52 weeks oh my god these past this past year uh here are some of my favorite moments from the episodes from this past year and I would exercise because I was afraid of being fat. I wasn't exercising because it's healthy and it's good for my body. And I, you know, want to try to, you know, be strong and live a long life. It was always like as a form of like, oh my God, I can't get fat. Like I had pizza yesterday. I need to go to the gym. So I eventually started learning about diet culture through social media, which is again, I love social media for this very reason, because I stumbled upon it on Tiffany Rowe. Hey, Tiffany Rowe. She's um, on Instagram. You should definitely follow her. She talks about it a lot because she is someone who recovered from an eating disorder. She had anorexia and bulimia, and she talks about diet culture all the time. And then from her, I found so many other pages that were talking about it. And then I learned about Evelyn Triboli, who is one of the people who um, has written about intuitive eating. And then I just started learning about like our unhealthy approach to food and our bodies and how damaging it is. And being that I'm raising three girls, and one of them is in those years now, she's a teenager, that this is coming up a lot for her friends, that they're constantly talking about it. And they're they're engaging in so much disordered eating. And their body image is so, like, damaged and, and awful that I was like, I can't, like, I need to do something to fix this. Like, I, I can't let this, like, continue. I, I can't let this go on. 
So I started learning more about it. And of course, the more I learned about it, the more I started changing myself and realizing how damaged I was. Um, and then I started, you know, teaching other people about it on my social media and my Instagram. And it's become something that people have like messaged me and they're like, holy moly, like I never realized this. Like I never understood how like messed up this is, you know, like I was at a friend this weekend at a meal and like all anyone was talking about was like diet culture stuff. Like, oh, I can't eat that. It's so bad for me. Oh, my nutritionist said like no carbs. Oh, I'm on a high fat, whatever diet. Like, you know, and, sh and they're like, oh my God, like I never, you know, it's so crazy how we're like, it's all the time in our face, you know, and we don't even realize it's become so normal for us to be talking like that. So I really just want to like undo that culture. Um, meaning to say there's some people that they're going to try to make it right. Something that isn't we, 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 we to a very extreme level. And then there's a very extreme level of also like I do everything self-taught, 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 hashtag self-taught, hashtag uh, one man band. You know what I'm saying? Like they're so proud that they're doing everything. I don't I think either one is, is not good. The balance, if you can have the balance, that's perfect. Right. I think you have it. I think, I, I mean, think, I, I mean so whatever I, I see. Right now I have a team. Um, which I have to say, it's not about what you have. It's about the mindset of what you want to put out there, how true right. you are to yourself. Yeah. So I struggled, um, hardcore when I was young. And then finally, when I was almost 18, I told a friend that I had been really struggling with eating disorders and they helped me through it. And it was at that point, I really started to want to heal um, my relationship with food and my relationship with fitness. Cause up until that point, I've been running. 12 miles a day to achieve, um, you know, a certain look, which was to be skinny. And when I was 19, um, I started seeing these pages on Instagram and these women were weightlifters. And, um, you know, at that point, Patton, I'm not, I wasn't fully kind of in the place that I am now. Now I, I focus on strength and agility and all those things. I don't necessarily focus on an aesthetic or looking a certain way. So when I was 19, I would see these women and they were lifting and I was like, wow, they actually have the body that I've been kind of going for. Um, but they're not doing like any cardio and you know, they're weightlifting and they're strong and they like look strong and they look happy and they're eating so much. Like, how are they doing all of this? So I actually, the reason why I'm so passionate about my Instagram, uh, and the people who watch my stories get tons of information day in and day out. And like, I'll, dispel a fitness myths or diet myths or I'll pull up a post that doesn't make any sense scientifically and I'll kind of pick it apart and show them like how to kind of pick out the craziness in diet culture um, and the reason I'm so passionate about that is because I got a lot of my insight and a lot of my information from fitness pages um, and of course with that came you know these pages were not as fully dressed as I am and with that came comparison, et cetera. So my page is hopefully a page where women do not compare themselves to how I look. 70% of women in America don't orgasm from sex. 40% of women never had an orgasm in their life in the country. So wow. this is not just a Jewish um, dilemma. This is definitely, like I said before, the world at large, you know, it's interesting because you just brought up my Instagram page. Um, I Every so often I'll get a message from someone who's like, 
ultra orthodox or you know jewish orthodox super religious they will say you know don't you think you posting about these things makes us jews look bad you're making us all seem so naive um and insular and it's just perpetuating a negative image of us and i said with all due respect my audience is jewish however this is not just a Jewish problem. Dr. Ruth was on television for years. She was not talking to the Orthodox community right. because they didn't have televisions at home. The world was misinformed about sex and had no knowledge of who to reach out to for it. Even again, this goes all the way back to our lack of education or information from a young age that we we're never taught who we should talk to about it what our questions are allowed to be what kind of professionals cover this we have no idea and so you'll have like a a couple who's in their 40s call her on live television ask questions that's not a jewish problem meaning everyone struggles when it comes to this there are different sects, there are different types of feminists, there are different people who take it the whole way. In general, I believe that a human being, no matter their gender, should be, um, should have the opportunity to, to eat, should be, should have access to equal opportunity regarding of their gender. Um, and how uh, radical I, of you. How crazy. <laughs> I know, it's so funny because people are always like, oh yeah, you're a feminist? Like, explain that to me. And I'm like, careful because I'm going to turn you into one. Because what <laughs> you actually agree with, it's just people don't word it. And I think that when we don't word it and we don't think of it, it doesn't become a concept that we ever play with. And it's one that can lead to like immense growth in ourselves as like young women and ourselves as a community. Um, but I just, I, I always tell the guys when we have this conversation, because the truth is living in yeshiva is what has made me quite a bit of a feminist. Um, they're always like, but men are different than women, right? We're different than you guys. And anyone who says we're not different is an idiot. And I say, I know we're different. You and I, men and women, we're different, but neither is better than the other. A man is not better because they can run faster. A woman is not better because she can birth a baby. We are not better than each other. We are different. And that is what feminism means to me. That's one of actually the benefits of having autism is I have a galaxy brain. <laughs> I am always, always, always thinking. I'm a detail-oriented person who thinks large picture for about five minutes and then kind of zones back in on something. So your um, brain just literally works differently from mine. Oh, for sure. And I am, when people say, you know, quiet your mind or, you know, bring us, bring stillness to your mind, I'm like that what is that like? That must be nice because I could, my mind is going a mile a minute at all times. Like going to sleep is an adventure. <laughs> like I have to literally like try to turn my brain, if not off, just mute it for right. six to eight hours at a time. And even my dreams are very vivid. And so I am, I'm constantly tired. I feel like I never get enough rest because my mind is just going, going, going all the time. How old were you when you realized that your brain was different from most of the people around you? Uh, probably eight or nine. Oh, but it so like took me really until I, it took me to get an official diagnosis of autism. It took me until earlier this year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So those in between years, did you just like, do you just think that you're weird? Like how yes. does that? Like, I thought I was broken. Yikes. For, for the majority of my life, I thought I was broken and lazy and stupid. 
and in the when in reality i am smarter than most of the people yeah literally you just described that your brain can hold more information than mine on a like just on the way that you think i i don't know that i don't know if you watch sherlock but there's the mind palace Yes. was the most accurate description of my brain I've ever heard from somebody besides myself. I'm going to link that episode um, in the show notes so that people can go and watch it. Sherlock is a fabulous show. It is uh, It is the best representation of Sherlock Holmes probably yeah. ever. I would, uh, want, I would agree with that. And my mom, who is the biggest, like not only just literature nerd, but specifically Sherlock Holmes fan and nerd would 100% agree. 100%. And yeah. the, the idea and the kind of drawing out of the mind palace I remember watching that episode and I paused it and I was like, he said it. <laughs> this he is said how, the yeah. words. This he is how my brain works. Um, and it's just, it's a blessing and a curse because I don't have very, I, there's so much, there's so much that I do struggle with being autistic, but there's also um, a lot of benefits to it. I just am, I'm a little more, ta- I feel like I'm more tapped into I'm less tapped into the people around me and more tapped into the world. Okay, what do you mean um, by that? I, for reasons I can't, for reasons I don't understand, I have, it's, in other people it's called synesthesia, where numbers have colors and sort of, and you, uh, random things are associated with sound or color in your brain. I wouldn't say I have synesthesia, I have, I think it's part of my autistic brain. For me, music and music has color. Um, sounds do have color. People's voices have colors to me, and I like. I was I was just laughing with my therapist about this the la- last week. Um, her office is on the tenth floor of a building, and when I go into the waiting room, she shares an office. It's a large office space with other therapists. And when I go into the waiting room, you can't see around the corner where the offices are. You can only hear people coming, and probably my fourth or fifth time there, I stood up and kind of met her at the doorway and she was like, how did you know I was coming? I was like, I heard your footsteps. I know your footsteps now. Like I know the length of her your specific footsteps. Yeah. And like, you know, other people had come down the, other people had come down the hallway and I was like, it's not her. It's not her. And then I heard the sound of her, I heard like the cadence of her footsteps, the length of her stride. And I was like, there she is. And she was like, how did you know, how did you know that was me? Did, and I was like, I heard your footsteps. Um, and I kind of, I didn't hear her voice, but I heard her. People have sounds to me sometimes. It's very, it's very strange. It's hard to explain. Um, but I do feel like, I feel like my world, my mind is a lot more colorful than most people's. As of all this recognition, I realized what a, what a brand recognition they had and people knew who I was. I'm like, I built such a strong business. I'm not shutting down. And if you look at like, you know, statistics and most businesses that go through a recall shut down and you should know, like we've been through months where we haven't like gone to the grocery. I, my father-in-law is a caterer and we take food from him. We go into my parents for food from him up until very, very recently. Um, and it completely shut us down. It completely put us to, Every single penny we were making from our business from when we opened was going to the lawyer and going to our credit card bills um, that like we're trying to make up for all of this. So it really put us in like a crazy place. And I think people didn't understand that 
when we said we did a voluntary recall, it wasn't like, oh, our stuff aren't like perfect. Let's do a recall. Um, we were forced to do that recall. We just chose to report ourselves instead of them catching us. If they find out about this before we report ourselves, um, it costs about $40,000 fine for not reporting yourself. Wow. And they call it a voluntary recall when you come like on your own. Right. That's just like the technical legal And term. until today, exactly. So people thought like we did it like, you know, for the heck of it. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, even, even today we're still, um, anytime someone suddenly remembers, oh, I forgot to return um, the levy be to get a, you know, a refund, I have to pay the lawyer that month a lot of money. So they might be getting 18 to $24 back, but that's costing me that plus that fee for that month. So um, yeah, it really, it, it was a very difficult time and it still is and it still, you know, comes to right. bite all the time. But um, thank God, like, you know, we're pushing. Something that I, I'm something that, up. yeah, of course not. You know, it's, and I shouldn't say of course not, because it's not a given, but because I know you, it's kind of a given. Um, but it's also, it's just that something that you did recently, which I was, as I was watching those videos, I was like, no, Shira is braver than I am because I would never do that. Um, like, I just, I don't, I couldn't, you got on your stories and you explained that to people. You said every time that there's a month when even one person requests a, requests a refund, which you're entitled to do, you bought this product, it's, it's a recall, you're entitled to do that. But every time that someone does that, even if there's only one person that month, it could cost me, it does cost me hundreds of dollars in lawyer's fees every single month. So please do me a favor. If you ever bought the Levy B, if you're ever, if you, if you are planning on, you know, getting your refund, refund right, right. If you're planning on asking for a refund, please do it now because then I only need to pay the lawyer once and that can, and that really makes a big difference. Um, like I can't, there's a, there, you have to have a certain level of a, just like confidence in your community, like confidence in the people around you to feel comfortable to say, I have a ridiculous lawyer bill and I need you to help me with this. Right. And also to just say, like, can you help me out? Like, can you, can you help me out? Can you do this? And there's, and it, and in a lot of ways you're admitting a fault. Um, you know, you're, it's something that went wrong. It's definitely not something that a lot of people talk about. I don't think that I could have made that request. I would have just like probably been in a corner just being like, I hope everyone else forgets about this because, oh my God, these bills. Um, what, what made you decide to do that? Was it just because you felt like you had no other choice? Honestly, um, I don't find the conversation of money uncomfortable. I know that's a very uncomfortable thing for a lot of people. For me to tell people that we've been through months that we weren't able to we literally didn't buy anything like that card never got swiped whatever i needed i took from my parents my mom was helping us pay our rent and otherwise you know we would have not been right. able to do that so it's something i'm not ashamed of it's something like this is life there are people that struggle there are people that don't and i know it's a topic that scares people but it doesn't so i felt comfortable saying that and i realized at this point i just I'm going to come off like in a little bit of like a begging kind of way, which is not like so professional and it's not the best thing to do, but I just, I, I can't anymore. Like when I finally feel like, oh wow, this month I could treat myself to something nice. I could try to finally do some self-care that costs money that I've been wanting to do. And then suddenly I get that one email. So this person's $18 that they're getting back is costing me 
a whole month of waiting for something that I've been looking forward to and trying to put away. So um, I'm like, I have to do this. I can't, you know, I, right. I felt like it was like a sticking up for myself kind of thing because people don't realize, you know, what, what it does. So if I don't tell them, how could I be upset? Because every time I would get another email, I would be like, what are they thinking? Like, do they realize that they're asking me for $18, but they, it's costing me a lot more? I'm like, no, they don't realize no, that. They don't. I have to tell them. This surgeon had said, listen, we need, we need to open the front of your neck. We need to open the back of your neck. We're going to put uh, another half plate in the front. We're going to put some screws in the back. We're going to put some rods and we're going to stabilize everything. And I'm like, this was a lot. I went through with both operations and after it, that, that was where I, I hit my rock bottom. After that, I couldn't get out of bed any any time. I tried to get out of bed. The pain was so immense. And I literally lived in bed for two years. And let me explain what that's like, because it's not like, okay, I was in bed. No, you know, I needed help with daily care, getting dressed, although getting dressed was, and I'm someone who loves fashion, getting dressed was in pajamas every day. Um, if I did leave the bed, it was either with a high back wheelchair, a wheelchair that had this piece to, to hold up my head. I was always in a hard cervical collar. And sometimes if I was lucky, I would be able to use a walker. I, at that point, it was so much for me that I, and I was told just, just so you can understand that the surgeon basically said, listen, your, your neck just gonna take it. This is that you will live in this immense, intense pain for the rest of your life. <sighs> yeah. And I felt like, so when it, when it comes to the, the children topic and all along, I felt like my neck had taken so much from me in my life. Cause I also, I pushed away family, I pushed away friends and I felt like I couldn't be an artist anymore. I could barely be a mother and a wife, um, but I felt like I'd always loved kids and I wanted this large family. And I felt like if I'm stuck like this for the rest of my life, at least I'll have the family that I always dreamed of, you know? Right. And all my surgeons were like, okay, it's kind of like, look at the way she is, like at least let's help her have that the place that I would not want to like the if you told me like it what if what is one place that you I can't pay you any money to go there right now it's a hospital I don't want to be anywhere near there and you are you, you, like there is not even enough of a word I need a bigger word that like that shows the bigness of your presence there do you know what I mean like you are there I am there <laughs> yeah and with like all caps underlined bold and italics it's it's a lot what is the general feeling like what is the only word I can think of right now is morale um but but what is the general vibe among the other staff at the hospital um like amongst uh, your colleagues so in the town where I work people are primarily very motivated and um, positive. There's a really good energy going, which is making it a lot easier to work there. 
Um, I think part of it is that number one, we don't hear the codes. I only hear them when I go into the hospital to eat lunch or pump. So that's a part of it. And then another thing is, is that we feel like we're helping patients. We're helping the emergency room. We realize like what big part of the puzzle we are playing um, a role in, and it really just helps us stay positive. As far as the people in the hospital, so for the past couple of weeks, people's emotions have been really, really um, strung out and stressed out. And you just like, you'd see people crying in the halls because they couldn't do anything. Um, and they had, like most of the time they would have a conversation with somebody who's fully conscious and in any other case would have nothing wrong with them. And they said, I'm really sorry, but this virus is attacking you in a way that I can't help you unless we put you to sleep and put a tube down your throat. And there's a big chance you might not wake up. Um, that's a really difficult conversation to have with someone. And we were having it over and over and over again. And then they'd be there with their, without family to help them um, make the decision because nobody else was allowed inside. And you'd be there as their advocate saying, this is the best for you, but also, you know, there's a good chance that this can kill you. So, you know, you'd see people crying all the time. Um, once things started dying down, which basically happened over the Passover break, um, we are seeing an increase in morale. People are doing a little bit better. We have a little bit of, better of a rhythm uh, and we know kind of things that help us manage the symptoms a little bit better than we did before. Um, another thing that we've been doing is playing a song every time a patient gets extubated or discharged if they're a COVID patient. So that's really great because um, we play I've Got a Feeling by Black Eyed Peas. Oh, and that it's, song. It's wonderful. And everybody like cheers and it really boosts morale a lot. It, this will forever be burned on my brain <laughs> the, la the first time that I went to work on concert. Yes. Um, so I was the head of the play um, in my high school. And uh, the high school that I went to was about a half an hour drive away from my house. I went to um, Tag and Far Rockaway. So um, the first, like the, the prep for the play happens all late at night. It happens afterwards. Um, it happens after school pretty much. And I was driving myself back and forth. Right. I had just gotten my license. I had already been in, I think, two fender benders. Um, no, were you? That yeah, I remember, I remember. With, with Shoshana on the side of the Van Wyck in the green that car. That was afterwards. No, that was definitely afterwards. No, I think it was before. Or it was around. No, the... then I wouldn't let you drive. drive. I think definitely I, I'm nearly positive that that happened in June okay. and this was in September. I will check with Shashana. Okay, could be. Um, I don't know okay. if she'll even remember. Um, do you remember I hit the, the cab coming off of them? Yeah, to go oh, that on. part I remember. Yeah, oh, that part. That was bad. That um, I remember. But let's just say my driving skills have improved <laughs> since then. But if you ask my husband, he might disagree with that. Um, but either way, I came, I, we, I had been at school working and you hadn't told me a time that I needed to leave yet. And we weren't sure what time, how long it would take or whatever. And I ended up coming home 
11.30? Yeah, somewhere in the 11.30 range. And the way that my parents' house is set up is that when you open the front door, you're looking directly into the kitchen. The kitchen is kind of shaped like a hallway. It's an extension of the hallway. So it's about 11.30. I walk through the door. You would call me a couple times, like, when are you coming home? What's going on? And I was like, we're just finishing up a few things. I did not realize how um, that, like, when are you coming home was translation for get your butt in the car right now. <laughs> um <laughs> So there was that, and um, I opened the door, and you were standing in the kitchen with one hand on each counter, because they're on opposite sides, and you just looked me straight in the face and said, I can't do this again. We need to figure out a system. So, right. So my part, so my version of this is, we had, I, I was, I was nervous. I was concerned. Yelling would not help at all, because the truth is we hadn't come up with a time. So I realized that I hadn't been clear. Yes, I yes, we gave her the car and yes, she could she could go for production and and you know, do whatever she needed to do, but I hadn't realized that time would be an issue because I didn't think it would get so I late. didn't I didn't realize it would. Right. Either. So I wasn't mad at I wasn't mad because right, you didn't you were do just, anything wrong. You were just stressed. I was very stressed. I was very nervous, but you didn't do anything wrong. Right. The th- and then we figured it out. What really flipped me out? Do you remember the time that you took the bus the wrong way and your phone was off? Oh yeah. You got your nails done. I do remember that. Okay. That was bad. That was bad. Right. Well, I think my phone had died. I thought it was. I thought you had the headphones in and you didn't hear it. Some okay. It was so, there was some version of, for whatever reason I Rizky wasn't. She went rigid. to get her nails done. She took the bus in the wrong direction, so it took way too long to get home. I I, had, I, I ran. I there's um there's a specific nail thing that I like, and I had gotten on the wrong bus basically. I had been somewhere, and Rifki should had Rifki should have been home way 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 before me. So I get home. So where's Rifki? She's not home yet. So what do you mean she's not home yet? That doesn't make sense. And then I called her. Oh my god, probably a dozen times at least. Yeah, and she didn't pick up. Right. And that was bad. Yeah. Uh, that was bad. Yeah. You came home, I yelled, because yeah. you didn't pick up your phone. Right. I don't remember if it was dead or if I had headphones I, in. What I, I remember headphones. I don't remember exactly. What I distinctly remember was when you came in the door, Yehuda saw you first. And he was like, <laughs> oh, that. are you in trouble? <laughs> Yehuda's my younger brother. He yeah. was like, you are in trouble He's now, like, girl. Exactly. Duh. Yeah, I yelled that night because that was bad. Yeah. I was I was a nervous wreck. And it's so funny because I have new insight. You see, you think that your parents are morons until you get a little bit older and realize they're not so stupid after all. Many, many, many moons ago, I was supposed to meet a friend at the movie theater. We were seeing The Color Purple. And my friend didn't show up. So I went in to see the movie anyway. This is pre-cell phone. God, awful, This mommy. is pre-cell phone. This is pre-everything. So my friend called the house. What happened was she had gone to the wrong theater. Mm. So it was a misunderstanding. So she went to a payphone. Yes, there were payphones then. And called the house. And asked my mother where I was. She says, what are you talking about? She's supposed to be with you. So for about... Color Purple's not a short movie, yeah. people. For two about and a half two hours? and a half hours. It was even longer because I didn't call my mother when the movie was over. Right. I just came home. Right. So you're talking about a solid two, three hours where she had no idea where I was. And I still remember, like, you have the vision of yeah. me and the kitchen. So my vision is walking into the house. Hi, the how are you? No. Bobby was in the kitchen. Okay. In her chair. 
So okay. I saw her back. Right. She sits at the at the front of the table, which is to the back when you walk into the kitchen, um, like a statue. Just, just literally right. like a statue. Hi, how are you? Where have you been? Oh, I was at the movies. DeVoe recalled. Oh, I know. I, yeah, I don't know what happened. She never showed up. I don't know. I don't know what that was all about. I was talking in a perfectly fine tone because as far as I was concerned, nothing had happened. Right. And my mother, meanwhile, for the last three hours, had no idea where I was and had no way to contact me and was literally paralyzed with fear by that point. Right. By the time I came in. So that's my version of this. Of that story. I don't yeah. remember her yelling at me because, again, it was one of these. Yeah. But that was not a fun Moment. Yeah, it's seared in my just like yeah, you have yours seared, seared so into my. To brain. me, coming back late is more seared in my brain than I had almost forgotten about that one. Oh, yeah. I ended dead. up all the way down Roosevelt Avenue, you ended all like, the way. The you library. were totally in the other direction. It was yeah. because you didn't pick up your phone. Sorry, that it was bad. <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah, that was bad. That yeah, sorry, but yeah, and you know, you screw up, you fix it, you move on, you screw up again. <laughs> that's how this goes so when i entered this whole world it wasn't as much so to combat like general racism it was more what you just said like for me it was about the orthodoxy and the blackness and i think one of the biggest things that people are like oh but like is the first thing that comes to mind is to defend the orthodox community and one of the most important things that i need to say is that I don't think that most people in the Orthodox community who might fall under the category of being a racist are overtly racist or intentionally racist or maliciously racist, you know? Um, I don't think that that's most of the Orthodox community, um, especially not from our generation. Perhaps older generations, they went through different times, different things, it's a different life, it's a different story. But from our generation, I really don't feel that way. I don't feel like people look at me and they automatically are thinking negative thoughts. I think a lot of it is things that we grew up with in our surroundings and our families that may not have always been intentionally passed on to us. And we may not even be aware that they were passed on to us. And then when people meet people like me, a lot of times these unintentional things come out as microaggressions or subtle racism or little remarks that I don't even think a lot of times people themselves are aware of. Um, so yeah, that's why it was so important for me to, for once, open my mouth and speak about this because it's something that I'm, as much as I'm happy to speak in person, one-on-one -on -one and in private to people, speaking to a public about this, a public who I can call my community, when it's such an uncomfortable and sensitive topic for so many people, um, it's only like done out of love on my side. And it was kind of like one day you were there and then one day you were not. You just like, it was like, I, you were on every flyer and then you weren't. So Okay, so I guess that's what it seems like to someone else on the outside. Um, but for me, there was two Leia Forsters. There was Leia Forster that the public knew, which um, was, you know, uh, a good Jewish wife, a good Jewish mother, you know, contributing to society in her religious community by being funny and by doing tons of chesed and you know and being involved in all these charity organizations and I was also a high school teacher in like the most mainstream religious schools and on top of that I was heading their productions as well 
So I was that Leah Forster. And by the way, that was an integral part of me. But then there was another part of me that was struggling with the sect that I belonged to in the religious community. Like I love Judaism, I love God, but I wasn't happy with the stringent part of the community that I was born into. And I sort of kept digging my own hole deeper because I was becoming more quote unquote famous in the community and more like, you know, well-liked teacher and a well-liked member of the community. Um, and my daughter was in a very religious school, just all things that I was digging my hole deeper. But at the same time, I was struggling with, you know, my own relationship with Judaism and where I fit in as a Jew, you know, and as a person in that community. And also as the wife to my husband, like there was just a lot of internal struggle and it just didn't feel authentic. It felt like I was living two different lives and each were really important to me. So the public saw me disappear from one day to the next, but privately it was years in the making. Um, I was taking all the steps to remove myself from that ultra-Orthodox circle. I took my daughter out of a very religious school. I put her in a more mainstream Jewish school. Um, I had, you know, taken off my wig. I was still covering my hair, but like I was wearing a cap. You know, if I left the gym, I was wearing pants. Like I would till this very day, like I do identify as modern Orthodox, only because I have to identify as something, which is Kaka, if you ask me, no one should have to identify as anything. I'm just a Jew and a person. Um, and the same goes with sexuality. I'm not sure if you want to cover that or not. I don't but mind. to me, it's like sexuality, religion, politics. It's all the same umbrella of we live in a world where people have to identify something when it comes to religion, identify something when it comes to politics, identify something when it comes to religion. I just am a Jew who likes and loves other humans. You know, and right. I don't feel like I should be in a box, but unfortunately the world that I grew up in puts you in them. So whatever, but either way, without getting too boring and technical, I had slowly been peeling off the layers, doing all the right moves and steps and slowly figuring out that my marriage wasn't going to work long-term and all, all that stuff. And obviously with help and community and support, I was making the right moves. And the final move to make was to change the public's perception of me, which was the hardest. Because when you have thousands and thousands of people wherever you go, expecting certain things from you, it's like you don't want to disappoint them. Why do you yeah. think that there are people who are so much more threatened hearing you speak as opposed to hearing somebody who might not look like their wives speak? So there's a certain, there's a fear of someone who presents as a member. Um, and, it, you know, I see myself as a member, for sure. Um, and someone who understands the intricacies, right? Like, the last few weeks, about two weeks ago, I, I had a, a big story about um, a profile of uh, Hasidic reporter Jacob Kornblue, a wonderful colleague who's done, who's known as a big, like, political reporter in, the New York, in New York City. He's totally self-educated, classic Hasidic upbringing, um, and really just always had a passion for journalism and politics. And I profiled him, and within it, you know, in that profile, I wove in um, what it means to be a journalist in the firm community, and what it means more than just journalism, to be a whistleblower, right? These are the same issues that activists often face. Um, and that was, that was one of the big kind of themes there, is that, you know, we know the way politics work in this community. And, you know, we won't get into details here, but, um, you know, 
certain organizations and certain lobby groups and certain personalities who are kind of heralded as leadership in the community, whom we turn to in, for example, a health crisis, you know, for guidance, those, you know, we know, those who are inside the community know how it works. Um, we know the relationships with government, we know the relationships with big money um, in a way that a secular journalist never would know. So, um, you know, I think we are better poised to be able to look at something very soberly and say, you know, here's what works and here's what doesn't work. Uh, and that is very scary. You know, there's so many reasons that people think, oh, I, I can't donate my kidney, I can't give it away. What if, if someone needs it and I and I had no longer have it to give? What if my kid needs it? What if my husband, my spouse, my mother, my father? And it's so important to remember that's such a common, it's such a common fear, but it's so important to remember that just because you're related does not mean you're going to be a match. But doesn't that give you a higher probability? Usually, but not always. Okay. And also, it's not so easy. It's not so easy to donate to a child if you're an adult. There are a lot of issues with sizing and things like that. And it's also very important to remember, and this was something that I felt so strongly about, and I still feel this, and that it happens to be now that like laws and stuff are changing a little bit about this, but I feel 100% that if, God forbid, someone in my closest circle needed a kidney, someone would step up just like I did, right? I decided right. to step up for a stranger, a literal stranger I had never, ever, ever met. Someone, someone else will do that, right? Like, it's not right. – and it happens to be now that there are all these um, statutes changing about altruistic donors that they can designate someone to kind of be – an altruistic donor, if, if, God forbid, something happened to my kidney, I would move to the top of the donation list. Right. And it's important to remember that the donation list, um, the, there's a UNOS, which is like the National Registry for Organ Donation – the waiting time on that for a live kidney donor is close to seven years. Wow. So many people who are waiting for a kidney don't have seven years. You can be on dialysis, but dialysis does a huge, it takes a huge toll on your body. Renewal's waiting list is a fraction of that. I mean, it can be my whole process. I don't, you know, I don't know exactly how long my, my recipient was waiting. I want to say not more than a year and a half. But my whole process from from that phone call in January, I had my surgery on May 21st. Wow, only a few months. So it's only a few months. So anyway, my mother had those extremely common, extremely natural, extremely understandable fears. I think I also realized that as much as I'm social, I'm really more of an introvert. And talk I think to that, me about this. Yeah. Talk about this. Because this is one of my favorite things to talk about. What do you mean by that? So I'll tell you what I mean. Like when people meet me, they think that I'm an extrovert, which is because I am, I guess I'm warm and I'm just friendly. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, no, you are. You are, like, both <laughs> of those, you are both of those things. <laughs> um, it's so weird talking about yourself. Okay? You know what I mean? Right. Um, but, and I can make people feel comfortable. So I'm not like awkward. And I think people have this like misconceived notion that introverts are like awkward and they're not social, but it's not the case. Introvert just means that you kind of feel like refreshed and you get your energy from from being alone you know what I mean I know exactly and, what you mean and, and I'm like so you, glad that you described it that yeah way. and you prefer one-on-one -on -one interactions versus like a huge 
Like I right. love, like you remember when we had that fashion event and yes. which was very enjoyable. I had a great time. And, but after the best part, besides for the point that like, I love, I love hanging out with you. When we went out to dinner, that was the best part of the night. Cause right. it was just me and you, like we right. didn't need like. <laughs> exactly. It was you and me and a giant pile of burgers and fries. Which is obviously the best way to spend the night, of course, with a giant pile of burger and fries. This is the part of the show where I would normally ask my guests what it means to them to make an impact. And what was fascinating to me about that part of the show and what I began to realize as I did more and more interviews and um, especially now as I was listening back to all of them is that everyone had different answers to that question. There were certainly a couple of common themes. There were certainly a couple of um, repetitive answers, but no matter what the answer was, it was deeply meaningful to all of my guests. It was important to all of my guests that they make an impact in the world. And whether that was to leave the room better than they left it to better than they entered it, excuse me, to inspire others to take life by the horns. All of that was, it was important to them. Whatever making an impact meant to them, it was deeply meaningful. And I always thought that that was something that was particularly special. I think that it's something that as humans, we all want to do. And I hope that through the past year of listening to this podcast, that has been something that has affected you as well. Um, and that has maybe given you the push to go do the big things, to go lead your life with intention. And, and, and I'm so, so grateful to have you here today. The show would not be what it is if there was nobody to listen to it. So thank you so much for listening today and every day over the past year. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast and if you want to um, see a list of the clips that I just shared, all of that can be found in the show notes, which you can access by swiping up on the cover art. You can also hear more episodes by subscribing or heading to impactfashionnyc.com and selecting podcasts from the footer venue. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. I read every single one of them. They seriously make my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fatman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifty Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together, and thank you so much for this anniversary.